Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, They've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello and welcome to the last opinion podcast from the times of 2015 on this program we'll be looking ahead to 2016 i'm philip webster and on the panel this week we have robbie millen literary editor of the times Philip Aldrich, economics editor of The Times, Patrick Kidd, sketch writer of The Times, and also The Times diarist. The first voice you will hear will be Philip Aldrich. Interest rates will finally go up, but we will have to wait until after the Brexit referendum, which the Inns will win. Perversely, those rates will increase into a slowing economy. The Chancellor will tighten the screw with more tax rises in the March budget, house prices will come off the boil, and there will be a small financial crisis in emerging markets that everyone will panic about before it blows over. In or out, leave or remain, I have all sorts of firm views about relatively trivial issues, yet on the greatest issue facing Britain, I flip-flop around in the no-man's land of the undecided voter. I don't want to be a, a don't-know, so that's why I'm looking forward to the EU referendum and the debate it ought to provoke. Next year, one of the main political parties will change its leader, but it's more likely to be David Cameron going than Jeremy Corbyn. If Brexit beckons, bye-bye Dave. 2016 will also see the elevation of a buffoon with ridiculous hair. Yes, Boris is heading into the cabinet. Donald Trump, on the other hand, will vanish on Super Tuesday and Hillary will become US president. The Rio Olympics will be a security nightmare, but heroes will emerge. I'd stick a fiver on Giles Scott to be the next Ben Ainsley and Rory McIlroy to become the first Olympic golf champion. There will also be lots of talk about 2016 being the hottest year on record, but it will still rain whenever you plan a barbecue. Well, that's our initial predictions. I imagine a lot of you will be racing down to the bookmakers after this broadcast. There's enough there to make a, make a bit of money or lose quite a lot. Let's um, kick off with the um, economic predictions. So, Phil, you think interest rates are going to go up, but you think it'll be after the referendum? Yes. The, uh, well, the, the US Federal Reserve has already gone with the first move in, uh, in seven years at the back end of 2015. And it's almost 
well, it's it's almost certain that the Bank of England is going to follow suit in 2016. The economy is growing strongly enough, and wages have been picking up. Um, so all the items that the governor has has earmarked as being necessary for a rate rise are there. But the big obstacle to all this is the political uncertainty of the uh, the in-out referendum because mm. obviously the the central bank is quite aware that should we vote out um, as unlikely as that may seem um, there will be a, a a real sort of financial panic in the uk there'll be investment will disappear and you can be sure that there is contingency planning at the bank of england which they have they've indicated that there is contingency planning um, and part of that would would almost certainly be a rate cut to uh to offset any uh, any drop off in growth, because um, they would be they'd be quite worried about uh, the drying up in, in in inward investment into the UK and uh, and and other things. You think that if they were to put up interest rates before the um, referendum, would that in itself have an impact on the referendum? Do you think would no, that I'd be sending out a wrong? No, I, th- I mean, if they, because I think that if they put the rates up before the referendum, they would be sending out a message that the economy is doing well, etc. Where you know we're in a strong position, which is a, which is a fair message to to send out. But there is, a, you know, there's the egg on face moment of having stuck rates up, you know, a couple of months later, having to cut them again, and that's the last thing that the Bank of England wants to do, which is to sort of flip flop on on policy at a, at such a key moment, especially when you know the, the the central bank has got to be seen to be really having a strong handle on the economic situation of the UK and if it is raising rates and then cutting rates a couple of couple of months later there's a, there becomes a credibility issue so there is there's probably more risk in going early for them than there is right. in just hanging on until after the after we've got you know a clear path and with. and you think George Osborne's got a bit more austerity for us up his sleeve yeah i think i think uh, he he got given this enormous 27 billion pound giveaway in in the uh, in the autumn statement um, and uh, we've obviously seen rates rise in the US market markets are beginning to crank up this the sort of real interest rate which uh, affects the the economy mm. and, and government borrowing costs and you can see this 27 billion windfall unwinding as a result because part of that was was because these 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 global market borrowing rates had fallen right to the floor. If they just move up a little bit, you know, he, he begins to lose some of this windfall. Uh, so to pay for the spending plans that he currently has, he may need to raise taxes. And it looks almost certain that there are going to be a uh, crackdown on, you know, multinational tax avoidance. There's been plans in train for some uh, some tax on uh, more taxes on pensions. So you know, there are there are areas which they've kind of earmarked as being likely for for tax rises so Mm -hmm. i could see him having to do a little bit of this to make sure that the deficit reduction plan remains on track and patrick we thought george had gone a bit soft didn't we in the autumn statement well it was uh, everything found down the back of the sofa good (laughs) is for everybody uh to send people into a in into christmas in a happy mood oddly he didn't need to do it i mean the Tories party is in the strongest position it's been in for a long time and you almost feel that George Osborne could um, increase every tax going on the poor and he'd still get away with it because Labour's so weak. Mm. I thought Osborne's autumn statement was in contrast to, to, to the budget straight after the election, which actually seemed to have much more of a vision, as did his Tory party conference speech, whereas the one he, he pulled out in, in early December was, uh, well, there wasn't any flaw in it. I'm sure there no. were lots of things that people have noticed since he said it, but uh, at the time it was a great giveaway. Do we, so interest rates have stayed ridiculously low since 2009, isn't it? I think. Yeah, March 2009, they, they hit 0.5%. Uh, yes. So it would be, 
you know, it's going to be seven and a half years. At, uh, it's incredible, isn't it? And how close have they come to changing it? Well, they have, actually, they, they, there was, uh, I think the closest we came was a 6-3 vote, or or maybe even a 5-4 vote on the Monetary Policy Committee um, back in uh, early 2011. Um, and it was the, the, the deputy governor at the time, Paul Tucker, later said that he was, he was just a, a smidgen away from voting for a rate rise, but he voted to hold it. So um, we, we, were, we were on the cusp of it in 2011. Yeah. Um, and you know, then there was the European sovereign debt crisis, and, um, uh, and you know, we've, been, you know, we've been where we were at, at 0.5% ever, ever since. But the most recent one was, was 81, I, I think, or, or close to that. It was fairly... Yeah, what well, the vote? The vote is yes. still eight one. Yeah, it's. Yes. Uh, I did a story in my, my diary column for Manoush uh, Safik. Is she the deputy yeah. governor? Excuse yeah, me. he's he got was, three deputy governors. Well, I thought we were going to get to the diary. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and, and, and she was. <laughs> she was the same. Shameless. She's, she's, Shameless. Indeed. Shameless. New Year promotion. Her children say to her every month she comes back from the monetary policy committee, having had a several hour long meeting, and they say to her, "What did you do?" And she said, "We kept it at zero point five." And they say all that work and you don't actually do anything <laughs> at the end of it. Yeah. But I suppose the country's glad that they're not doing anything. Well, it, We care more about our mortgages than our savings accounts because we don't have savings. Well, well there's more <laughs> savers than there are borrowers. Uh, uh, so people borrowers. at opposite ends of the career. <laughs> so I, 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 the house, you know, household borrowers are obviously quite happy about it. But I, I, the, uh, And the banks just produced a, a report that shows if you do raise rates, borrowers, how, you know, people who've got big mortgages, cut their spending a lot more than the savers use the higher income they've got to spend themselves. So you, you, you do have a depressing impact on the economy just by raising rates, even though we have more savers out there than, than borrowers. But it seems just a very sort of weird economic times where none of the normal signals seem to be working in the economy. So you've got zero interest rates, sort of no inflation, yet there's supposed to be all this growth, but... As far as I can see, wages aren't really sort of growing very much. It's almost as if all the kind of normal rules of economics have been suspended, this kind of suspended animation. Yeah. When, uh, John Major was on on, on um, television uh, at the weekend, and it, it, it happened, talking about when interest rates were at 13 14%. Well, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's in our lifetime. It, 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 it's well into my lifetime. But it was, uh, it, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, the all the all the sort of traditional expectations about you know a recovery and where we would be are just uh, 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 have been left on the wayside. It's a it, it's a we're in a we're in a bizarre world of zero interest rates, um, massive amounts of quantitative easing, which is supposed to have caused Weimar-style hyperinflation. Mm. And you know here we are with zero inflation yeah. across the world. And uh, you know wages were going up, and then the then the oil price fell again, and it pulled inflation down. And and it seems to be that companies are it's become self-reinforcing because companies are now looking at where inflation is and that the the wage settlements that they're coming in at are, are being pulled down as a result they can say you know inflation's at zero we'll only give you a one percent pay rise yeah. um and you know obviously that in itself is then is then bringing uh inflation lower so it's, it, it it gets it's getting close to that bad deflation uh world where it becomes self-reinforcing just one more on on this and then we'll go on to robbie's um question but uh, you talk you talk about a panic in the emerging markets are you looking at we've had a bit of panicking in china recently yeah. are, you, are you looking at india that is, is no india is, looks pretty good uh, right. brazil looks like it's in uh it's in crisis right. um 
What's happened was that during... Cell Brazil. Uh, Cell Brazil, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go for warm-ups, that's great. <laughs> Just as long as the Rio Olympics uh, will go. Uh, yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've had a few years of um, where interest rates have been so low in the advanced economies around the world that, that uh, big institutional investors have been pushing their money into uh, the developing world because they get a better bang for their buck. Um, and as a result, there's been this huge dollar inf- inflow into in, into countries like Turkey and Brazil and and Africa and and as uh, and as a result of that, they've, they, these these uh, economies have been inflated on on this debt. Uh, now the money is being withdrawn. It's being they, they started to withdraw it. So institutional investors have been starting to bring it back to the advanced world um, uh, at the back end of 2014, and it's caused it's causing all sorts of problems because now you've got to refinance debt that's maturing and there and it's much more expensive because there's so fewer providers of the debt and and worse still this could kind of a double whammy as as this money retreats local currencies depreciate so the brazilian real has fallen 30 percent against the dollar and so any dollar debt you have is you know 30 percent more expensive as a as a result mm. um and so there's this there's this there's this, this double hit and you know the imf has been looking very closely at all of um these capital flow and debt uh, problems that the emerging uh, markets are facing there are particular areas like Turkey, uh, um, you know, Indonesia, uh, that have these large exposures. Uh, what they can't see is whether they've managed to hedge their currency uh, positions so that you know, if if a thirty percent fall in the dollar, if if that's a naked exposure, that's going to hurt. But if they have managed to hedge those positions, then then the emerging market countries which have done that should should be able to withstand it. But uh, nobody knows and so mm. th- so because it's like back in 2008 when Lehman Brothers went bust nobody knew where the liabilities were and so you get one country in a bit of trouble you can very quickly see that sort of panic spread through the financial markets just as it did seven seven eight years ago yeah. and and and, uh, and and cause cause you know a real uh, a real panic but I, I mean the thing about any emerging market crisis that we've seen back in like in the 80s and the 90s is that they don't tend to cause global recessions. They go quite quickly, yeah, you yeah. can. They, they are the, the the developed world seems to withstand them, and so you know that gives you a little bit of confidence. Let's move on. Robbie wants to be educated <laughs> in the forthcoming debate. Does that suggest you're not um, too impressed with the standard of? Um, debate so far or 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 are you like um some conservative mps waiting to just waiting to see what what cameron comes back with every time i sort of hear the the, the remain campaign making the case for staying in i always come away thinking oh gosh that's a load of old alarmist nonsense and then when you hear the kind of the leave campaign pop up you think oh do we have to have another debate about immigration it all seems kind of quite pinched and narrow i'm paid to have views on who should win the booker and um, whether the latest William Boyd is um, any good. And then, you, you know, an issue of national sovereignty, the future of the country, prosperity. I'm, I'm sort of flopping around like a... Are you looking for um, for leaders on either side to be... I think that telling, would... You know, do, do you think that either side have a, have a, a leader that you've got any um, feeling for at the moment? I think when a few of the, the, the sort of more sensible Tory Eurosceptics, people like Sajid Javid... You know, if they all of a sudden make a break for it and join the sort of out campaign, then I think my vote would definitely sort of go in that direction. Because they're kind of people of substance and it would take a bit of bravery on their part to do it. 
Because at the moment, I, I mean, a few years ago, if someone had said, how are you going to vote tomorrow in a Brexit referendum? I would just sort of say, oh, yes, definitely out. But that was before UKIP and Nigel Farage. And you then, don't want to be in their gang? Well, that sounds a bit... Douglas Carswell <laughs> doesn't want to be in their gang. <laughs> no, but it, it's that kind of, all of a sudden, it, the, the issue of Europe and sovereignty and all that kind of stuff became a matter of immigration. And mm. I kind of think, actually, fairly open borders has been good for this country. So it kind of worries me that uh, um, an outvote will mean we don't want foreigners in this country. Whereas you, I yeah. think I can't see why people object to people cutting your hair more cheaply or, you know, nice French people working in the financial services sector. I, I, I just a Spanish book senator. Or, <laughs> well, yes, that, that's unlikely, well, which um, makes oh, me gosh, feel yeah. quite relaxed. Yeah. Hungarians are queuing up to become diarists. Patrick, I mean, the, the, um, the feeling around the place is that there are quite a few cabinet ministers who are sitting on the edge of their seats wondering do I jump or not mm. um, We've had and, Liam Fox, and, a former cabinet minister, obviously yeah, saying he would be But if, if we had an existing cabinet or Boris jumping Robbie might just have the somebody out there who could put a, a very good case Well I think Michael leaving. Gove is the key one I, I, yes. I, I, I think we're, we're a former Saturday editor of the Times leads <laughs> people will, will have to think carefully about whether they follow. Um, there are people, there's Theresa Villiers, there's Chris Grayling. I'm not sure anyone would follow Chris Grayling over the cliff. Um, but if there are heavyweights making the case, then, uh, then they're certainly doing more than the Prime Minister is making to stay in. Yeah. And I think David Cameron is likely to come to the end of his time in Downing Street, having won a couple of general elections and three referendums, yet having fought a poor campaign in all of them. He fought a poor general election campaign and got a majority. The Scottish referendum was pulled out of the bag at the last minute. This European referendum hasn't... But he's not making any sort of case for staying in, which is apparently the way he's going to argue in the end. So is this like one of his essay crises again? Well, I think again? so. And, and he's, he's got four demands, which are, as Jacob Rees-Mogg memorably said, very <laughs> thin gruel. Um, and he's not going to live up to them. Europe aren't mm. even going to... So I think a lot of people out of spite would almost feel to punish him for, for, for not actually asking for all that much and then not getting it. Mm. But actually it is such an important issue. We, we need... Uh, it's going to come down to economics, isn't it? Big arguments will be made about what it's worth. The yeah, economy. I mean, isn't... I mean... I just don't know you, who's going to make it. You get the feeling the renego renegotiation is pretty irrelevant, really, and in the end yeah. it's going to come down to a gut feeling uh, among voters. They're not going to sit there and say, oh, he got basket one or basket two or basket mm. three, they're yeah. going to say do I want to be in the EU? Well the Scottish referendum was quite um, instructive wasn't it, With the when the business community came out and, and said look you know, if RBS will have to move down uh, to uh, down to uh, the rest of the UK, um, and uh, I can't remember if it was M and S or you know one of the one of the retailers was saying you know prices are going to get more expensive up here, and and there was suddenly you know there were real things that people were seeing as consequences rather than sort of ideological chatter, um, and I, I don't know, I, I get, you get the impression that the closer it gets to uh, the the actual referendum, there there will become you know, maybe it will be business leaders i'm pretty sure the bank of england's going to try and keep its hands clean on business on this is a little debate, bit more split there, there, there is a business, business contingent that goes for, yeah. for leave isn't there yeah, in, I mean, in it, a way it, that in 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 75 i think it was almost unanimous that the whole business mm, community yeah. came out and said you know we'd be mad mad to leave this there is it's a little bit different this this time yeah. around but 
it, the the weight, I suppose, of business opinion will be for. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for the CBI's in. obviously been getting a lot of criticism from Sajid Javid, among others, for for seeming to support the uh, the in campaign. Um, but they and they'd represent quite a, a broad spectrum of the business community, including some smaller companies. And you know, there there are small smaller companies which are domestically focused. Clearly, have less interest in the in, in remaining in in europe and the bigger ones multinationals it's it's definitely in their interest so uh, there is there is a split but uh i think that you'll probably get quite th- these kind of very re- respected big business leaders will come out and they will make make a strong case but i wonder whether respected business leaders are- here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. To exist anymore. <laughs> it's kind of... I think Are you people likely are so to be um, turned off by what they say then, Robert? Well, I... I mean, Stuart Rose, is he any good? All I remember is He's everyone used... He's extremely good at selling underwear. But no, <laughs> but he's not, He makes though. Philip Hammond look charismatic. <laughs> but I thought that was the point, that uh, M&S no longer have the right kind of underwear. It's the only place I buy mine. Oh, well. <laughs> but I think with the... Probably most voters would just look what's happening in the uh, Eurozone economies. Mm. I think that will matter much more than mm. whether Stuart Rose pulls some claim out of the air about the number of jobs that are... Uh, dependent on EU membership, you just see what's happening in Greece, and people will think, well, that is that is what Europe is about. Boris, of course, has sort of paved the way. He he has said on many occasions, you know, there's no reason why Britain couldn't do perfectly well outside mm. the uh, EU. Even though, as mayor, he seemed to be, you'd have thought it would have been his role to defend the financial services. And also Boris endorsed Ken Clark to be Tory leader. Yeah. In a previous leadership. But also, I I can go back with Boris, because I I went covered many European summits when he was working on The Telegraph, and he was one of Margaret Thatcher's favourite correspondents, and that wasn't because he was a great pro-European. I think he's quite a chameleon, Boris. (laughs) Um, And he'll go whichever way suits suits Boris. But there needs to be something, some case needs to be made for for why we should stay, that will appeal to the hearts. Because Philip's right, that people will look at, Greece, there might be another refugee crisis again, and these emotional things about how it's all 
up the spout will play on people's hearts. And you need you can, you can't just play Beethoven at them. But it, my hope actually, Phil, is, is, is you know, you're you're leaving us soon to go and devote more time to your golf game. That you're going to play the way into the Ryder Cup. And uh, you and Sergio Garcia will show how a Britain and Europe together can uh, Absolutely, defeat yeah. the Americans. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, that's possibly the um, possibly the way out of this. I think it's all Cameron is putting everything on. <laughs> so I think if we're making predictions, which this is all about, Phil, you'd say we're going to stay in. Yeah, Patrick, I think we'll stay in. I just won't know why. And Robbie, I think the country's going to have an exciting head rush and go for out. Ah. There we are. That's a, that's a but then I, I'm a literary editor. What do I know? <laughs> I talk as much as anybody else. I talk to yeah. publishers. They know yeah. nothing. Well, look, let's move on to Patrick's plethora of um, predictions. Should we go with um, sailing at the Olympics first? Or? <laughs> this, it's all that anyone's talking about as the year begins. Oh, I'm sure. I, I didn't... Is it, Ainsley is not having a go this time. So Ben Ainsley has, has retired after London and he's devoting all his attention to the American's getting, Cup, right, which we've not yeah, won since the yeah. start in 1851. Um, and there's this very talented young guy, Giles Scott. He's not actually all that young. He's nearly 30 now, who should have been in London 2012 if he'd been any nationality but British right. and would have won the gold if Ainsley had broken his leg. And, uh, and he's won everything since London 2012. So that's a name to watch But has he got Ainsley's sort of absolute gritty... I think so. Will to win. He's got the bastard side. Because Ainsley, you had that feeling he would... Well, he, he showed that he would do anything yes, to win, yeah. didn't he? Um, yeah. So I think we're st- Britain is still going to rule the waves. We'll still do very well in rowing. Um, we'll, st- we'll st- still do well in sailing. Uh, we won't get as many medals as we did at London 2012, of course. No, well, that would be going some, wouldn't but it? But I think it would be a decent Olympics. But as I, as I said in my preamble, it will be a security nightmare. The, the, the terrorist threat is obviously much higher yeah. than it was in 2012. I remember in 2012 we were talking about m- missile launchers being put on London tower blocks in case there was an attack. Mm. Um, I think whoever's in charge of security at Rio has, has got a, a headache. Yeah. And we just hope. You know, we've not... There, there was that small bomb... At the Atlanta Games, but that was not a, an organisation attacking it. Um, otherwise, you have to go back to Munich. Uh, an awful occasion, and one fears that Rio could be attacked, targeted. Yeah. Well, I suppose we'd better get back to politics um, and the future of the Prime Minister. And um, you reckon he's more likely to go in this coming year than um, than Corbyn? If, if Britain put, comes out of Europe, then he has to go. I, I don't see why he he wouldn't be. Isn't it up. also possible that if he wins, he this, might, feel he might go to rather quickly then? Because if he does want uh, Osborne to um, take over, which we think he does, it's better to go quickly and let Osborne ride on that. Uh, what is on that way? there to do? Indeed, you're absolutely right. And the other thing is that just Jeremy Corbyn, for all his faults, looks secure. He's got a massive amount of support in the Labour grassroots. The fact that none of his own party, very few of his own party, party MPs want him to be leader is by the by. Is that because the MPs are just too sort of spineless to manoeuvre? Well, the problem is if they go, if they forced an election, he could mm. well get re-elected because they're not elected mm. by the MPs, they're elected by these 600,000 odd and, and, and they're not, they're not going to take kindly, I suppose, to the MPs chucking them out. That's, it's quite possible you get back in again. <laughs> I don't know what the test will be. <laughs> a London Labour are, are 
fairly likely to win, I think, Sadiq Khan will probably... Now, Sadiq Khan was quite closely linked to Corbyn over the summer when Corbyn was running for leader. They were often... Their camps were at the same events together. But since Corbyn was elected, Sadiq has been moving away from him fairly rapidly. And it sort of becomes a win-win for Corbyn, because if, if Sadiq wins, then uh, it's a victory for Labour. And if Sadiq loses, then it's because he wasn't Corbynist enough. And we had exactly the same in the Alden by-election recently, yeah. where the candidate had voted for Liz Kendall and was a bit of a Blairite, and Corbyn never went... And so, therefore, uh, if he'd have lost, they'd said it's because he wasn't one of us, and instead he won, and so it's Labour triumph. We're in a paradoxical situation where Labour MPs are slightly worried that if they do win in London, it gets Corbyn right off the hook, and they're they're hoping that the press and everybody are going to be devoting attention to um, Scotland, I think. Phil, isn't that right? I mean, so that we all look there rather than um, potential win. Yeah, it, it does. It looks like um, you know Scotland could be a Corbyn's arm again if if it doesn't work out. And Boris in the cabinet. Well, his term comes to an end in in London in May, and a job has to be found for him. Do you agree with the uh, the Lord Finkelstein that um, he might be um, sent to the Foreign Office? Keep him out of the country. <laughs> what damage could he do around the world? Um, Boris, for all his you know idiot savants. Air is, is a man of capabilities and in, intellect and and ambition, and he might be a very good foreign secretary. But um, would he would he not regard that with uh, with some suspicion? It's if, a big job, but it, it does keep him uh, out of um, uh, out of the sort of leadership argument for the time being, doesn't it? It's a bit harder to become leader from from foreign secretary. Yes, um, I'm sure the outgoing prime minister would send him on a lot of long trips. Yes, we, 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 defra. But he's always uh, been in front of the cameras, sort of meeting important-looking people, which, rough, you know, he'll look Napoleonic. Just think of the insults he can spread around. I mean, he is our, our, he is our generation's Prince Philip. He is prone to gaffes, and, um, and they're more likely to happen abroad than at home for some reason, But I think, in my experience. But they, they, I think we'll just find it amusing, because it's only foreigners' feelings being hurt. It's not like he's offending Liverpool or... Not Another option, well, there's a couple of options. They could make him chairman, which puts him in touch with the grassroots, and he then becomes the, the minister for the Today programme, the big figurehead. Or I wonder what Phil's view on this is. If George is felt to have done his time at Chancellor and his move to Foreign Office, say, to, it, again, as part of his learning curve, how, how would Boris go down at the Treasury? <laughs> Crumps. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> he's, he, he is a bit of a chameleon, and it's not he, his sort of economic policy. Is, it's not, I'm not really clear what it would be. He has, he's got, in Jared Lyons, he's got an economic advisor who's, uh, who's very talented, and um, so uh, he, could, he could defer to him. Yeah, he would, he, yeah, he'd probably, he'd probably be definitely be making a more st- a strident argument against, uh, against Europe, even if, we, even if we stayed in and, and championing championing Britain everywhere. Don't know, really. The, the, the big thing for Boris in 2016 is his book on Shakespeare. Because he's got yeah. this time, he's got spare time to write a column every week and to write a book. Yeah. And it's, it's the <laughs> 400th anniversary that? of Shakespeare's yeah. birth. And Boris has got allegedly a £500,000 contract, right. I think. Yep. Well, so he might take Foreign Secretary because all those long flights he could... Um, Sell books around the world. <laughs> yeah. um, right. <laughs> but that is something, I'll just go away from politics very briefly, that next year's Shakespeare's 400th anniversary will, will be fun. There, there's going to be a lot of new things on the BBC, adaptations, the, the Globe is putting on all the, all the plays, I think. Uh, there'll be presumably things up and down the country and we should be celebrating one of the greatest mm. Britons. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to finish off by asking you to make several predictions so the year cameron will step down for someone phil which year which year 
20 i think 2018 he'll 2018 he'll, he'll Robbie? Um, um, oh, yeah anything you, i mean you, you oh, any we prediction. can we can then put you in a double with the um <laughs> i'll go back down to the bookies and do a double with with um Europe exit. I'm going to predict that the next winner of the Booker Prize, <laughs> <laughs> this Boris is Johnson for my life of Shakespeare, <laughs> would definitely be an American. And uh, I've only read one novel that's so far coming out next year. So this is from a position of ignorance. But we've been waiting for an American to win since they were allowed to, to enter two years ago. It'll be Don DeLillo. Well, we better get on this, that good thing. Blimey, um, well, I've already given you Giles Scott to win a gold at the Olympics. I think also when we... Uh, and uh, you, you think Cameron might go this year, but no, I you, think do you tend to... I agree with Phil. I think he will go in 2018 for the very good reason, which I wrote in the diary a couple of months ago, oh. that that is when his son starts at Eton. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think Cameron won't want to be in Downing Street what when that does, happens. What does the Prime Minister do once he steps down? I mean, he's, 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 quite, he's young, he's, surely he's ambitious. Like. He's going to join Phil on the golf course. Uh, my other prediction is that when we all sit down for this at the end of 2016, one of the things we'll be discussing is, so when do you think the Chilcot Inquiry will come out? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's possible. Well, um, that's it. That's all our predictions for 2016. If any of them are right, we will come back and... Um, and shout about them uh, uh, next year. Thank you very much to Robbie Millen, Philip Aldrick and Patrick Kidd. Phil, before you go any further... Oh, my God. <laughs> this is one of these Eamon Andrews moments. Um, as Have you got a book know, for me? Indeed, yes. It's my little red book. Um, this is your final Red, red Box Opinion podcast, and uh, Team Red Box have put together a few uh, tributes for you. Oh, no. Which hopefully, due to the miracle of technology, are now going to be played. How embarrassing. You've also got a cry and a moat, I think. <laughs> we want a Gwyneth moment. Do you want tears? Hi, Phil. This is Emma, Deputy Editor. Just wanted to say I hope you have a wonderful retirement. You're going to be much missed here for being a great friend and a great colleague after all these years. I remember you from when I was a very, very young and green cub reporter uh, working for the Financial Times uh, back in the 90s in the parliamentary gallery. Uh, little did I think then that I would uh, be working alongside you at the Times so many years later. Anyway, best of luck, play lots of golf and have a wonderful time. Robert Lee, industrial editor of The Times. Uh, Phil is, of course, a legend of the lobby and uh, his passing uh, it will be greatly missed by many of us. But, of course, we should actually remember that uh, he was actually also a superb captain of the Times over 40s cricket team. Brilliant double act with Roger Alton on the field. Uh, although those who saw them both fielding wouldn't like to say uh, which one of them was um, going to be Rohan Kanai. And also uh, a brilliant golfer, although I've never seen him play golf, so I'm having to take his testimony for that. Deborah Haynes, Defence Editor. The Editor State is going to be a massive loss to our office for Phil to be leaving us. He's like the voice of, the head of experience, the voice of experience, the ultimate shorthand writer, and um, just a, a massive example for us all to follow um, in terms of being just like the best kind of journalist. And yes, really, really miss you. Hi, it's Rosemary Bennett here, the Social Affairs Correspondent and I was Phil's deputy when he was political editor in Parliament for about five years. It's an incredibly stressful job and we worked in a horrible little pokey office but my main memory of that time is just the room being filled with laughter and Phil being totally on top of every story that came through. Really, my respect for him is huge. So best of luck, Phil. It won't be quite the same without you. And who's going to report on Ed Ball's political comeback? Hello, Phil. Uh, 
political cartoonist Peter Brooks here. And farewell, very sadly. I think you've probably been here almost as long as I have, which makes the farewell even sadder. But good luck uh, with your new projects. Good luck with your wonderful new book, uh, which I know is coming out. And thank you so much for all the wisdom and the entertainment you've given us over the years. Entertainment's probably the wrong word for politics, but anyway, the wisdom certainly, and the insights, and the scoops, and the many stories which were brilliant over the years. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have had uh, anyone better to be not exactly working alongside, because my job doesn't entail that, but within the same political sphere anyway. So good luck, Phil, and again, Thank you very much indeed. Faye Lessinger, Head of News. Phil, we shall miss you deeply from your karaoke in a bright green wig with a fake blow-up guitar to the way you used to leave your bag right in my way so I'd almost fall over and break my neck every day. We'll miss everything about you. Best of luck, Faye. Phil, I thought I was an old-timer on the Times and the Sunday Times, of course, but then I discover how long you've been here. Uh, which puts me in the shade, makes me feel like a beginner. I knew you when I first joined the Times in 1980. Uh, you were a stalwart of the paper then, and you've remained one ever since. You've been an amazing performer on the Times and a servant to the paper and to the public at large as a terrific political correspondent. And we're going to miss you. I just hope your golf handicap's going to improve. Thanks a lot, Phil. John Witherow, editor of the Times. I'm Jack Enright. I'm head of multimedia for The Times and The Sunday Times. Phil, to be respected is fantastic. To be respected and to have the affection of everyone who worked for you is remarkable. Phil, it's Oliver Cam. You have been at The Times a lot longer than I have, and my political knowledge compared with yours could scarcely fill the back of half a postage stamp. Even you my esteemed colleague could not explain to me what is now happening to the Labour Party. I hope that you will spend your retirement doing much more constructive things than considering that question. Um, I wish you every success and thank you for being such a great colleague in the comparatively short time, uh, seven years that I have been here. Hi Phil, Alistair Campbell here. God knows how many conversations we've had down the years, but let me say, if I had to pick out one journalist that showed real intelligence, integrity, able to get on with all sides of the argument, and to build a sense of, of trust with all sides of the political spectrum, then that man is you, and you will be sadly missed. I will no doubt run into you next season when Norwich are playing Burnley, I hope it's in the Premier League. All the best. Phil Webster um, was definitely old school uh, in the sense that he, he was brilliant at getting a story, got masses of really great political stories, but he did it in a way that was straight. Um, he did it in a way that wasn't confrontational with the politicians he was dealing with. And he was one of the political journalists who I think had real respect right across the political spectrum uh, so he's he was very much a, um, somebody I looked up to and liked and on the many occasions in which we interacted together I never felt that he behaved in a way that was 
either misrepresenting what I was doing or, or attempting to get the better of me. But I always do recall that every time he ever interviewed me, he ended up with a hell of a story. So that's a mark of a great journalist, and that is what he is. Well, that was a shock. Uh, I had no idea when I came in here this morning that um, that uh, little trick was going to be played on me. Thank you for all those kind people who contributed. Yes, I, uh, I remember John joining in 1980, and I remember one or two um, rather good joint bylines with um, John on the Falklands War when uh, he was actually out there in the action and I was covering the politics of it in Westminster. Great shock too to hear from Alistair and from uh, Tony Blair. It's been mentioned this morning that I'm doing a book. Well, all I can say at this stage is that both Alistair and the former Prime Minister will um, be featuring in several chapters. Thank you uh, for listening to the podcast. Find out more at thetimes.co.uk. I'm no longer editing uh, Redbox, but that's going over to uh, a good friend, a very good colleague, Matt Chorley, to sign up to Redbox. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash Redbox forward slash sign up. And don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.